Welcome. Hey, we made it to the end of Ephesians. That's a big deal. That means that we went verse by verse through the whole book of Ephesians. That was We did good. That's the first time I've ever done that. So I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of myself, and proud of the Lord. It's pretty awesome. So last week, we talked about what? It's okay. I'm going to remind you, but I, I want to... Oh, uh, it's okay. Man. What did we talk about last week? Were you here last week? I was here last week. You were here last week. What did we talk about? I'm mad at you. <laughs> that is correct. Anyone? Andrew was here. Yeah, what did we talk about last week? Not you weren't here last week? No. I'm going to look at the first few verses no, of All right, David, what did we talk about last week? Yes. Whoa. Why would you say that? Why would you say that? That's not cool. Apologize. That's not funny. Work hard up here. And it's not even me. It's the Lord's Word. It's not funny. Bad joke. Bad joke. So we talked about spiritual warfare, how our battles are not with flesh and blood, flesh and blood but uh, the principalities of darkness. So in our last study, we're going to discuss some real-life problems. We're going to talk about as the fact that we grow up, and some of you are getting ready to graduate and head off to college and grow up a little bit quicker, we see that love is defined and formed by what? What we listen to, right? They have an opinion. What we watch, what we see in movies, TV shows, what we read online. So pop culture has a strong opinion on what love is and isn't. And mostly what they think it is is love is a what? A feeling. So however... It's not long until, you know, you'll get to be my age one day and you'll learn that love is a lot messier than what movies portray. So I don't know if you've seen, like April just watched all the Twilight movies. All right, so sappy. And I was just like, please turn this off. But she loves them. And there's some sappy love scenes in that. And even though vampires aren't real, uh, love is even messier than what they portray in twilight and so there are days in our life when loving people is easy right loving my sister is easier loving my brother is easier loving my parents are easy and then there's days when it's much more difficult to get along and this is why god's love for us to love him and love others can sometimes feel really really impossible really uh incredibly difficult to achieve And because if our love is based on feelings alone, uh, we would fail because a lot of the days we don't feel very excited or we don't feel pumped up. Some days we do. But God's command to love is not based on our feelings, but based on the work of So, Yes, I can. God's, God's giving us the command to love is not based on what we feel or, or even how hard we work, but based on the work of Jesus. Yes. Absolutely. Well, yes, yes. 
Yes, but only Christ the Son died on the cross for our sins. Um, so, so what is the best gift that you have ever received and what made it so special? I'll go first because I wrote my answer down. My first guitar, it was like this color yellow. Someone stole it, so I no longer have it, but it was so, I know, I know, I know. It's its sore subject. But because of that, my enjoyment of music, being able to play with people, record albums, travel, playing concerts, uh, what a great gift and what a lot of friends. So the best gift I've ever received, a physical item, my first guitar. So what about you guys? And like, what? What? What is the best gift you've ever received, and what makes it so special? My dog, and he said it's dead. That's bullying. It's not bullying. It's true. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. What made it so special? Okay. What else? Your dog. He's really cute. Really cute. And fuzz. Huh? Crusty white dog. All right. So maybe we don't need to argue about our dogs. This is a tough subject. What else? What about the back row Baptist back there? Favorite gifts. Yeah. Your brother. So I mean, like a like a gift you've received. Okay. I've seen her dog. What about you? Anything? Okay. Anyone else before we move on from this apparently very difficult question? Okay. A boat. What made that special? Nice, nice answer. Now, here's a, here's a second question, a little bit more serious. Now, who is the one person who has encouraged you the most, most, the most, who encouraged you the most in your faith and why? My grandma. No. Your grandma? Cole. Oh, well, I mean, there's that. Thank you. I'm, I'm so honored, but thank you. My great-grandma died Those are good answers. Ooh, Big Chuck texted me today, made my day. What do you say? Asking about a friend, for something for a friend, but it still made my day that his name popped up on my phone. What'd you say? Mm, good answer. Anyone else? Yep. My brother. Your brother. Okay. Yeah, John's a good man. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. For me, there's a uh, there's a man named Dr. James Haynes in Wool Market, and then one of my uh, youth interns when I was your age uh, is still really one of my closest friends, and he's a pastor in New Orleans, and so they have both. Uh, encouraged me towards the goodness of God and His plans for my life. And so I'm always reminded by how much God loves me by how much they love me, if that makes sense. It's such a blessing. So the good news to the problem that we just discussed about love being difficultly defined by culture is that Christ, through His death and His resurrection, we have been sealed by God through the Holy Spirit into a love that is incorruptible. We'll look at that later. But there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God uh, and faith in Christ. So I'm going to open in prayer, uh, and then we're going to get after our, our normal questions. And I'm going to point at some different people tonight, see if you've been 
listening, Gavin, I'm definitely pointing at you now, uh, <laughs> and we'll see what we remember. But let's pray. God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you all for these wonderful, wonderful children that I just love so much. I uh, pray that you bless each of them, keep them safe as they go through the school year. Uh, Lord, may they be, um, may they cherish their relationships with you. And Lord, if they don't know you, may they seek to know you. Please be with me now and speak through me in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, Presley, golf. I ha- I'm happy that I have to say that now. Presley, golf. What does gospel mean? Good news. Well done. Brody, what is the good news? For what? Well done. Jesus died for my sins. Now, Jack, why did he die for our sins? So we can live what type of life here? I mean, yes. Abundant. Abundant life here. Abundant. And what? In, eternally in heaven. Well done. Gavin, you and Maddox take this question. What is grace? Simon? God's undeserved love for sinners. So good job, baseball boys. All right, now that we're going to review our book for the last time, and next week we're moving into Romans, I won't be here, but April's brother is going to be preaching to you, and he's super fun. Huh? He doesn't have a mustache. Oh, the, the coach at Van Cleve. So he's going to step in for me next. He's still really cool. One was a coach, one was a player. Baseball softball? Yeah, Trevor, Trevor is 20... Two and he he pitched for seven innings last night, and struck out nine. Where is he at? He's a minor league player, but yes, single A, Eugene, Oregon, the Giants. There's the like the number two overall prospect right now, like out of all MLB, Jackson Churio. Playing for the right now. Yeah, he's a he's a dog. He's hit like twenty home He's a dog. Anyways, what? It's okay. I love baseball. Macy. What were the two reasons Paul wrote this letter? That's the one I don't know. You've been asking any other. <laughs> That's David's question. Yeah. No, 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 nope, nope. So we got to give someone else a chance. Reese, what are the two reasons Paul wrote this letter? To make sure like the church was doing the right stuff. Oh, to identity. Yes, yes. To encourage believers to live in light of their new identity as a church. So that's the right stuff. And then what was the other reason, Christine? Just no. Just straight up no. Caroline? <laughs> to remind the church the power of the, the gospel. Yes, yes, ma'am. Now, Andrew, who was the original? I cannot read. Who was the original audience of this letter? Well, look on your page. (laughs) See where we're reading. Well, you didn't get one? Do you need... We are in Ephesians. Bad dog. I don't want to try to get much of the New Testament actually just letters. 13 by Paul. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like outside of the gospel, it's like mostly. Now, where was Paul Maddox... Oh, gosh. 
when he wrote this letter? House arrest. Gavin, why was he on house arrest? Who was in jail? House arrest. Paul. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. All right. So remember, we all face a daily battle against evil in this world. That's a fact. Yet in Christ, we've been given everything we need to do. To I mean, we've been given everything by the power of the Holy Spirit to stand firm in the battle. Remember last week, we talked about putting on the armor of God. And so through his death and resurrection, Jesus has already claimed our final victory. We talked about that last week, that even though the trials may be difficult now, in the end, Jesus has claimed our victory in the battle, and he supplied us with his Holy Spirit, so the source of our strength in our battle. So today, what we're going to learn about is that in Christ, God's love for us is incorruptible. Now, I want you to define that word for me. What is incorruptible? Not able to be corrupted. Cannot be corrupted. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's correct. That's correct. Uh, but to, def- to define that is it's not... Who said not destroyable? Good job. So... Oh. So incorruptible means it's not subject to death. Not subject to death or decay. It's everlasting. Okay, I'll kind of bring it down a little bit. I can't hear myself think. So... It's not subject to death. That's correct. It's, it's, uh, or any decay. Cannot even age. It's everlasting. So our love for God because of Christ is incorruptible. So I'm going to read the final... Uh, um, I brought a, the same translation, but a different... Uh, I think it's on 667. No, that's incorrect. 665. I'm going to read the final verses of our book. Um, of Ephesians. So page 665, please turn there in your Bibles. So we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're at 21 through 24. And I meant to do this last week, we forgot to do it, but I do want to keep standing as we read the Lord's Word. So stand up to respect, not, not to respect me, but to respect God and His written Word. So, I'm going to read 21 through 24. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to encourage your hearts. I'm sorry, I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you can take a seat. Thank you. So the first thing I want to note is that the beginning of this letter and the end of this letter, it starts and ends with love. And so we're going to do what we normally do, and this is for Presley Newport's understanding. Um, We usually look at the Scripture, we, we understand what it's talking about. And then we discuss, so what does that mean? And then we also discuss, now what do we do with that? So that's the process we're going to go through. So 
who is Tychicus according to verse 21? You tell me. Our dearly loved brother and faithful servant. Okay, so why do you think Paul addresses him that way? Paul, uh, this is not Paul's blood brother. Okay, so why does he call him a beloved brother? What, is that, what else can that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been talking about the body of Christ before. He's a beloved brother, a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul addresses him that way. Now, if you look at verses 21 and 22, there are three separate reasons Paul is sending Tychicus to the Ephesians. I want to know what they are. Three different reasons in 21 and 22. We'll do, do, we'll do one, two, and three in any order. Um, to encourage your hearts. He said in any order. Good job, Presley and Simon. What else? What's the last? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. So Paul is Paul is sending Tychicus to the to the Ephesians so that they might know how he's doing, so that they might know what he is up what he is doing. And so they might know who is the supreme encourager. In other words, Paul is encouraging their hearts by reminding them that Christ is supreme over all things. Now, Paul starts off in verses 23 and 24 with the words grace and peace. Where else in this letter, and this is going to take a little bit, um, where else in this letter do you see the words grace and peace used together? It's only like three pages. You can do it. So where else do you see the words grace and peace in this book of Ephesians? Huh? First chapter what? Second verse. Second verse. What does it say, Brody? Good job. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, so again, he's starting the letter and closing the letter with the same focus on the grace and peace of the Lord. Now in verses 23 through 24, this is the one that I meant is going to take a little while. Paul mentioned love. He mentions the word love two times. Now I want you to do a little investigative work. Where else in this letter is love mentioned? There are... Oh, I know, I know. And, and you... Yeah, control F, search. I know, I know. You, so, so read the verse out. So read the, the verse and marker out, Macy, if you have one. Yep, that's one of them. Good job. Hold on, let me mark these off. Good job. Uh, Andrew, you had one. Yeah, read that. Read that for me. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Griffin. Um, Ephesians 1.4. Yes. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and love before him. Absolutely. Macy. Ephesians 4.15 and 16. Yep. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Yep. we still got one, two, three... We got a couple more. What? Look around. Wait, what did you say? 
Come on, Jack. Oh, wait. 3.18, somebody already said that? Uh, yes, Macy covered that one. Where else? David, let's find one, buddy. Yep. Oh, just kidding. Okay, no. JK. I forgot the question was. Where else in Ephesians is love? Thank you, Andrew. Wait, 5-1, I don't know if this counts. Or 5-1-8-2. Yes, that counts. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ. Yes, <laughs> very good. 5-1-8-2. Uh, technically just 5-2, but yes. Well, it said love children and as dearly loved children. First, yeah. So that's what it does. Where else? We've got one, two, three more. Four more. Anytime I see the word Lord. Let's look in chapter two again. Yep. You are we already covered that one. Yeah. Two is where I was looking earlier because he's like telling them how to like follow Yeah, I don't think we did nobody else has that. Okay, well I I checked it off, but go ahead and read it again. This is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Okay, maybe we didn't do that. We didn't do that. Brody. Yes, sir. Well done, Jack. Yes, sir. Yes. How many are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wait, there is no verse 33. Uh, eight, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's a typo in my notes. There's no verse 33. Okay, well done. So after looking that up, what would you say one of the chief cornerstones of this book is? The, but the love of what? A love of God, right? Being focused on the love of God. So go to verse 24, Gavin, and tell me whose love Paul is describing in verse 24. Yeah, you look at it and you tell me whose love Paul is describing. No, just read it. it I think it answers it. For our, so it's talking about our love for God. And he describes it again as incorruptible, which, what does that mean again, Maddox? Incorruptible? Can't be destroyed, can't, be, can't face decay, is everlasting. And so he describes that as indestructible, incorruptible. I don't. Why am I so tongue touching? No, I feel great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now consider the context again, Gavin, of verse twenty-four. What does incorruptible mean? I want you all to answer this. Think of the context in twenty-four. If you need to read verse twenty-four, look over it again. Unconditional? Yeah. I was going to say unwavering. Unwavering, unconditional. Uh, Cannot, again, Maddox gave a great answer. It can't be destroyed. So, no, you go ahead. I was going to say because, like, God never changes. So, I guess. Well done. 
Exactly. Yeah, well done. So when we consider that incorruptible love of God in light of the context of this book and this verse, it is a reminder that we have been given what we've been given, especially the love of God that we've been given from Him, the same love which we love God, it can, that love can never be destroyed and is forever. And so through Christ, who is Himself incorruptible, because the fact that Jesus died on the cross and defeated death, thus making Himself incorruptible, that allows us to have a love for God that is incorruptible. So now that we've kind of defined what these four verses mean, let's talk about so what we need to do that we do with this. Now we know the two reasons that Paul wrote this book to encourage believers in their new identity as the church and to remind them of the power of the gospel. So with that in your head, why would Paul want the Ephesians to know how he, Paul, is doing and what he is doing? Why would why would he why does that matter? I think this part is super neat. And I'm going to help you. So do you think... Now, Paul is a pretty important guy, yes? Perhaps one of the greatest Christians of all time. Um, you know, he, he, he was an incredibly zealous missionary. Uh, he faced a lot of persecution. But do you think he walked around like... I don't know. I'm not picking on athletes. I love athletes. But, you know, when pro athletes walk into their games, they usually look like utter ballers. Do you think, do you think, like, you think like Joe Burrow, you know, like when he walks in, pre, when he walks in pregame, he looks pretty cool, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a, uh, a statement, right? Do you think Paul walked around like that? No. Do you think Paul brought attention to himself? Do you think Paul wanted praise of others? And so the, he's humble, exactly. And so I think Paul saw that his ministry was more than about sharing the gospel and planting churches. His, his, to him, I think, his call was to give his life away for the sake of the gospel. Uh, he did not see himself simply as a missionary to the churches, but a friend and a brother, someone that loved them. Um, and if you look at 1 Thessalonians 2.8, uh, he says, so being so affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And so to bring it home, much, if not all of my youth ministry here at this church is driven by A, my love of God, and then B, my deep affectionate love for each of you. And so Paul is saying the same thing. He wants them to know what he's doing and how he's doing because of how much he loves them. And he's not walking around like, you know, look at me, I'm the best Christian that ever lived. So what do you think is significant about Paul opening this letter, as Brody pointed out, and closing his letter with the same blessing of grace and peace? Now, I, I want your, your own answer, you know, here. Why do you think, why do you think uh, that that's significant? Opening and closing the letter with grace and peace. So when you, you uh, there's not a lot of books on the, well, that's the bad example. Um, well, we're just talking about God's love, and those were two words to describe. Yes. the power of His love. So if I write a letter to Jake, and I love Jake, which I do love Jake, and I start, 
the letter with, Dear Jake, this is your friend Cole. I love you. I hope you're doing well. Then I, you know, I meander some paragraphs. And then at the end, I say, you know, your friend, I love you, Cole. What is the main message I'm trying to get across? You love I love him. And so, in, in a way, more in that letter, whatever it says in between, the, clear, the most important, the cornerstone of that relationship is that I love him. And so Paul is saying, like, the grace and peace of God are not only a blessing, but they are the very cornerstone of pretty much all of the arguments that he makes in that letter, right? And we talked about that a second ago. No matter how challenging he was, because there are parts in the letter where he kind of pokes them a little bit, and he's like, man, you gotta, you got to do better. But he's reminding them that in all of that, in, as in all things, it's the grace and peace of God that serve as the foundation of our lives. And so in the last verse, in verse 24, Paul describes the believer's love for God as an incorruptible. Uh, what do you think is significant about this type of love, and what do you think makes it incorruptible? Now, you, this is where you can use all those other verses you looked up about love. So what is significant about incorruptible love and what makes it incorruptible? Got to put your thinking caps on for that one. What makes incorruptible love significant? But then again, what also makes it incorruptible? So, a lot of great descriptors already. The love is significant because it is unlike any love that we'll ever experience. It has no beginning. It has no end. It is unceasing. Now, what makes it incorruptible? What makes it unceasing, unable unable to be damaged? What makes it everlasting? 319 says Christ's love surpasses knowledge. Okay, yeah. Yep, yep, I think so, I think so. What does it say? May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. Yep, 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 so unsearchable, how much God loves us. Um, And so Paul is emphasizing this huge gospel truth that it is because of what God has done and how He loves us and how He saved us through Christ that we're able to love one another, that it is incorruptible. Um, And again, earlier, like I mentioned, the fact that Christ died and has been raised, Christ defeated death itself and has been raised incorruptible. He is now eternal, eternal on the phone. So His blessings are incorruptible and irrevocable. Now, I want to hang here for just a moment. Y'all define irrevocable for me. Can't Can't be taken away. I think that's good enough. We'll roll with that one. That's a great definition. So, all what does it mean to you that if all that Christ gives to you is irrevocable? What does that mean? It's ours. No matter what you do, He's not going to stop loving you. That's right. So, it's not what He has given to you, the forgiveness that He's given to you, that's not able to be changed. His decision to justify you before God's wrath is not able to be reversed. And your sins, once they're forgiven, are not able to be recovered, which is incredible. His, his forgiveness, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's hard for us to fathom because we can't forgive someone for stepping on our toe seven years ago. And, you know, we still remember it. But God forgives us so deeply and so permanently that once He forgives us, that sin is unrecoverable. 
And that should be encouraging to us because we have a hard time forgiving ourselves, right? That's perhaps the most difficult thing that we deal with is that we want to revoke God's love from our lives when He doesn't want to revoke it from our lives. So now that we know what it's talking about and, and what to do with it or, or what, what it means, what do we do with that as students uh, following after the Lord? First question, how does the idea, as I get this video ready, how does the idea of incorruptible love encourage you in your relationship with God and His people? You can keep loving him forever because he'll sustain you. No matter how many times we mess up, he's not going to like abandon us. So, you know, one of the best things I ever heard when I was your age is that God saw all my sins, past, past, future, and present, and still decided to die for me on the cross. Yeah. And so you're going to sin again in this life, and I am. All of you are, but Jesus knew that, and He still chose to die for you, which is. It's a, it's a video. Okay, it's a video. Analyze this picture. Uh, that's not a question. <laughs> so, so we can keep loving God forever, and He will keep loving for us because this love is an incorruptible, which means it's not solely dependent upon our actions and also cannot be ruined by our failures, which is huge. Okay, if you want to you know, leave this church and go explore other world religions, that's not a message you're going to find. Like other world religions are going to tell you, you can screw up to the point of damnation. Now, we understand that it, just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian, just because your parents are... That, that's not what I'm saying, that you're just a Christian because you come here. We understand that salvation comes by repentance, in, with, in faith in Christ alone, by, grace, uh, by the grace alone that Christ has given us. And so we understand that there is a process where we do repent, and then we turn and we follow after Jesus. But once that occurs, you are justified forever before God. And that's incredible because you're going to mess up. And you're young, which means you have a lot of time left to mess up, Reese. And that's okay. I don't want you to mess up. I don't want you to make big mistakes that will change your life. But you need to take hope in the fact that God is going to be with you. What He's given you is, for, is, is incorruptible. It's irrevocable. It's eternal. And that's incredible. That should encourage you to live. Live boldly for Him. Now... We're going to watch a video that I'm sure that some of you have probably participated in as a popular science project in elementary school. It's pretty ingenious. That's a good one. That's a good one. So pretty incredible design. Video is like nine minutes long or else we could have watched how it was built. So, um, egg's totally fine. So he, he, he gets it out and cooks it. So that's an overkill. But, so what is that? What did they call that? Egg drop contest, right? So the whole idea was what? In those, in the, don't break the egg. So usually there was some type of stipulation, like you have to drop it from this high. So that was about two, maybe one and a half stories. And so you could be given a, a, a certain amount of items and it would be like, okay, you do the best you can. Now, some would what? Break. Fail and break. And some would be like that and be a great protector of the egg. And so in a simple comparison, this is not the greatest comparison, but it is a nice, simple, cute comparison. You see that the builder 
um, built that carrier well. And so a builder built the carrier well, and it kept the egg nice and protected and secure. And, but does that make the egg unbreakable? No, the egg is still very, very, very fragile. But it just became that it is protected. And so in the same way, that is really what it means uh, to be kept in Christ what is your life is like to be kept in Christ as a believer. It's not that Simon all of a sudden becomes unbreakable or incorruptible, but that the love of God that has saved him is, and that his love is for his God is. And being sealed in that love by the Holy Spirit, we can claim that incorruptibility as our own in our love, but it's not because of our own strength, right? We didn't build the protector, okay? Right? We're just a little shallow egg that if you know, we barely tip over, we'll break. But it's because of God alone, what He's built for us and how He chooses to protect us. And that's incredible. So, what would it look like for you to give your whole life away to the people of God, that the people that God has put in your lives, such as your peers, your teammates, your friends, your family, etc.? What, what, what would it look like? Now, this doesn't mean, okay, that you at age... 17 or 18, get up and travel across the world and and abandon everything. It could mean that. I don't think it means that for most of us, but what does it mean for you, or what would it look like for you to give your whole life away for the people that God has put in your lives? I think it has one word answer. No, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just it. Okay, what's that based on? Based in. What type of action is that based in? Bless you. What? Yes, selfishness. Selflessness. Selflessness, sorry. Good job. Selflessness and humility. So to mean, let me ask you these questions. To give our life away, does that mean we don't rest? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that we don't create boundaries? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that we don't seek opportunities to at times be alone? No, it doesn't. Because who did all of those things? Jesus did all of those things. But it means that we count others as more important than ourselves. So selflessness. It means that we live a life of servant leadership. It means that we're vulnerable with others, not only to encourage them, but also let them know how they might encourage you. And so how, how humble was our Savior Christ? Humble to the point of death on a cross, right? He's the king of the world, and he takes on humility. He says, I didn't come here to be served, but to, to, serve, others. to serve others. And so that should radically direct our daily lives. Now, thankfully, Christ alone died on the cross for our sins. That means that Caroline doesn't have to die on a cross for our sins. And even if she did, it wouldn't count for anything as it wouldn't if I did it because only Jesus could do that. And we thank the Holy Spirit that He's done what I could never do. Um, And He's done it and it's permanent. Now, last question. Thinking about all of our time, we've been in the book of Ephesians for probably two and a half, three months. And and I know we had a break in there, so give give it a second to think about it. What has challenged you the most from studying this book to the this letter to the Ephesians church the Ephesian the church at Ephesus? 
and what it, what might be your biggest takeaway. So think about it for a second. After all the messages we took on, Anyone? Give me one word answers. Totally fine with that. For me, it, it, it's this last chapter, the irrevocable blessings of God. Isaiah 43, 13 says that no one can undo what I have done. And, and, and that's incredible. No one can undo what God has done or what He will do. And that is a huge blessing to me. So the question was, now that we've gone through this whole book, this whole letter of Ephesians, what, what has challenged you the most or what has been the biggest takeaway? And I said mine was this last chapter, the irrevocable blessings of God and the fact that no one can undo what God has done or will do. Anyone else? Siri just recorded me all saying that. Must have been important. Anyone else? Big takeaways? There's you know, uh, the armor of God, knowing how to stand firm. In daily battles, we can go back and look at them real, real briefly. The fact that we used to be dead in our trespasses for those of us that are Christians, and now we are alive in Christ. The fact that we have unity in Christ. Remember, we spent a long time talking about how there were great divides between the Jews and the the Gentiles. And Paul actually said something very radical, and he said, actually, you are one in Christ. All heirs heirs to Christ. Uh, We also talked about... There's power in prayer, that our prayer lives are power. It's a supernatural act. We're told to live the what type of life? The new life, right? The old is gone. The new has come. We learned about uh, how we ascribe to authority, how uh, we have to pay careful attention to how we behave, that we learn how wives should treat their husbands as... as, as, uh, I'm going to read it to make sure I don't get it wrong. Submit to your husbands as a Lord because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. But we also talked about what that really looks like in a healthy marriage. It's not manipulation. It's not trickery. It's not um, confusion. Because the man is called to sacrifice his life as Christ did for the church. Remember, April came up here and talked. We talked about children and parents and then slaves and masters. And these are all very radical moments when Paul addressed people. And then we talked about what we talked about today. So, anyone else before I start to close it down? So the main takeaway for today is in Christ, God's love for us is incorruptible. And because of Christ, our love for God is also incorruptible. Okay? So remember the good news this week that through Christ's death and resurrection, we have been sealed by God through His Holy Spirit into a love that is incorruptible. And that means there's nothing that can separate you that are Christians from the love of God in Christ.